Good afternoon. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, I want to do something a little bit different today and talk through something that I think is important in the scripture, uh, but I don't know that all of us always pay attention to, and it's the law and the relationship that the law has with Jesus, his teaching and his material. And I, and I sort of want to use um, a case study of the Sermon on the Mount as we get into that processing. So we're, we're going to talk about the law, what the law is, what the law does, and how it goes about doing that. And then I want to talk about what Jesus is doing with the Sermon on the Mount as it begins to shape um, New Testament understandings of the law and how the law works and how the law works for us as Christians in the New Testament. Um, along the way, I hope to make a couple of pit stops at some examples for us and just pay attention to what's going on with these texts and with how these texts get constructed and ways we can read and interpret them uh, so that they make good sense to us as Christ-following people. So, first stop then is the law in, in a really, really kind of big picture. Um, the law of Moses often has a kind of oppositional or sometimes tense or even hostile relationship amongst Christians. Uh, it does so in some ways that, that I think are byproducts of what Paul is doing in books like Galatians and Romans, where Paul talks about not being justified by the law, but being justified by our faith in Christ Jesus because of his faithfulness to accomplish on our behalf what we cannot accomplish for ourselves. And that gets forayed into kind of a sort of anti-Mosaic law thing. But at the same time, uh, Christians would uphold things like the Ten Commandments. And so we make distinction and nuance in this, and Jesus makes distinction and nuance in the way that the law works. Uh, like, for example, he upholds things like anger and murder and adultery and lust in the Sermon on the Mount that have deep roots in things like the Ten Commandments. But in Mark chapter 7, he declares all foods clean by saying that it's not what we take in that makes us unclean, it's what we produce from the heart that makes us unclean. And so this nuance of what is applicable from the Mosaic law, from the First Testament law, and what is no longer binding on Christians from the First Testament law is a bit interesting. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the three primary tasks that the law outlines for us and the two ways it goes about those tasks. And so what I want to do in the rest of this time we have together is talk through the three things the law does and the two ways it does that. And then <clears throat> talk a bit about um, how Jesus is reimagining those three things the law does and the two ways in which it does it. Okay? So, our first thing. The law does three primary tasks. First, uh, first covenant law, the Mosaic law, demonstrates God's character. 
God's moral, upright, uh, noble character, his love for us, his love for our neighbor, his love for people in general. And so God's character is on display in the texts and the layout of the law. And so that's, that's the first notice that I want to make here. Um, part of the purpose of the law is to teach us about God. And that is the case because the Bible is not necessarily about us. It's about God. The Bible is the story of God and his interaction with human people. So he's the primary literary character. And it's places like the law that develop for us God's moral character and attributes because he is the primary literary character in the book. And so the first thing that the law sets out for us is the character of God. God is faithful. And so there are commands about being faithful people, not only faithful to God in our worship, but faithful to our spouses and faithful to our neighbors. And so we don't bear false witness against them. We don't steal from them. We don't have affairs or murder individuals. Why? Because God's a faithful God. He's looking out for our best interest and our neighbor's best interest. So we also should be looking out for the best interest of others like God does. God's character is on display in the law. That's point number one. The second task of the law is that it should be formative for our character. God's character is on display. We are made in the image and the likeness of God. And so our character ought to be formed by the law. Some of the same examples I gave uh, from the Ten Commandments apply here. We ought to be people whose character is conformed to looking like the character of God. And so we should be individuals who are faithful, who love well, who worship rightly, who buy and sell in the market fairly, who judge right and wrong according to things defined and set out by the God we know and love and serve. And so God's character is on display in the law. But our character should be formed by the same law that expresses God's character because we were made in the image and likeness of God. So these are the first two tasks. The third task of the law is this idea of holiness. God is other. He is distinct from. He is set apart from. And so he is a holy God. We also ought to be a holy people. And this this last piece of the law is this idea of holiness. There are ways in which God says we should live in order to be distinct, different, other than the peoples who surround us. And that holiness takes on a couple of things. Sometimes it's a moral restriction, and sometimes it's a kind of procedural or a ceremonial or a piety restriction. Holiness is about looking like and being other than. Holiness is about being set apart, being distinct. As people made in the image of God and rightly related to God, we should be people who live distinct lives. 
So the law does three primary tasks. It teaches us God's character. It should form our own character to be like God's. And it is about holiness, about a being distinct from, about a living differently than, because our God is distinct and holy and other than. Well, the law does those three tasks in two ways. First is what often is referred to as prescriptive law. Prescriptive law are those passages of law that give us moral commands of do's and don'ts. They're clear-cut. This is always going to be right or this is always going to be wrong. And we really don't have to look any further than things like the Ten Commandments. Idolatry, never okay. Adultery, likewise, it's never okay. Murder in the same camp. These things are always going to be wrong. God has set out these are things that are not okay. We should not do these things. And so God's character, our character formed, and the idea of holiness is shaped by the commands because God has set out these are good things and these are not good things. These are right things and these are wrong things. And so this is the kind of prescriptive do's and don'ts of the law. Do not do this. It's prescriptive. Do this and do it this way. On the other hand, there's descriptive law. Descriptive law has, I think, a lot more to do with these uh, social or these uh, piety practices that are examples of holiness. Now, to be totally fair, holiness is much, much deeper than just the practices on the outside. Piety and our worship practices of prayer and fasting and giving to the poor, those are good things, but holiness runs deeper than just doing those good things. When we get the law, those good things are to remind us of the deeper abiding reality of holiness. But they're descriptive of life, society, and the way we go about certain things or the way we abstain from certain things. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's something morally reprehensible about what we're talking about in descriptive law. It's just a program God's laid out for us to demonstrate holiness. For example, dietary laws. Jesus takes aim at dietary laws in Mark chapter 7 when he says that it's not what you put in to yourself that makes you unclean. It's about what comes out of the heart that makes you unclean. And Mark adds this little note. Thus, he made all foods clean. We see it again in the vision to the apostle Peter in the book of Acts when God has declared all foods clean to him. The dietary regulations, it seems, especially understood by Jesus, were supposed to be something that reminded us of the inward, deeper, and abiding state of holiness and conforming our character to God's character. But in Jesus, that law for the dietary restriction has been fulfilled. And now we are supposed to be, to use the Sermon on the Mount's terms, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. 
to put it in other terms, we are supposed to be individuals who look like and live like Christ. Jesus says that we will be known by our love. And so in this regard, that reminder of the internal, deep, and abiding holiness and character of God that's supposed to be real in our lives is our love for one another and our love for God. Our being salt in the world, our being light to it. The law has been fulfilled. And so these descriptive practices can morph and change. And so Jesus spends time in the Sermon on the Mount talking about things like when you pray, do it this way. Or when you fast, do it this way. Because these are outward demonstrations. These are holy practices of things that remind us of internal, deep, and abiding realities. And the internal, deep, and abiding reality is that food pork or shellfish doesn't necessarily make us clean or unclean before God in terms of sin. It makes us, it helps us demonstrate. It helps us practice. It helps us be reminded of the deep and abiding reality of holiness and character that's supposed to be the present reality of our lives. Prescriptive law is about those serious moral commands that are always going to be right we're always going to be wrong. Adultery, murder, things like that. Descriptive commands are habits and practices of a religious life that remind us of the deep and abiding, holy and character requirements of the law. So how does Jesus begin to understand these? First, uh, Jesus says that he came to fulfill the law, Matthew 5, 17. The law will be fulfilled and accomplished, and it is in Jesus Christ. This is part of the claim of what's going on in the Gospels. So that's the first piece of this. Second, Jesus seems to understand the law a lot like the, the two categories we talked about in prescriptive and descriptive law. Jesus has things that are moral commands like anger and lust. In fact, he takes those commands and he intensifies the requirement of the Mosaic law when he reissues that command and he says, murdering somebody is wrong, but if you're angry in your heart in these ways, it's the same thing. It's just as bad. Adultery is wrong, but lusting in your heart is the same thing. It's just as bad bad. And so the command's been intensified by Jesus. Jesus has a tendency to, to, to highlight and intensify the prescriptive moral commands that Moses handed down to us. But the descriptive commands like food regulations, for example, get changed and transformed in light of the fulfilling power of Jesus Christ. The new law is about the matters of the heart, both prescriptively and descriptively. Jesus is upholding and fulfilling the commandment and the law of God. He says, if you love God and love neighbor, then you'll fulfill all the law and the prophets. So Jesus' paradigm with the law is about fulfillment. But it's fulfillment of both 
prescriptive and descriptive law. Descriptive law doesn't just go away because it's unimportant. No, it was incredibly important. But now there are just as incredibly important moments in the life of Jesus and the church and us as Christians that should be descriptive of the life Christ calls us to. As we walk in holiness with our character being formed to be like God's character, the three tasks of the law, as we walk that out, there should be transformation and change. There should be a looking like the God who made us in his image and in his likeness. The law was intended to teach us God's character, that our character might be conformed to his character, and that we might become holy people living with the holy God. And it did so by providing us with prescriptive commands, prescriptive commands that will always be right and always be wrong, regardless of what happens in society around us and descriptive commands that were about the way we go about our lives that looks like and reminds us of this holiness and this this being other than. Today, Jesus has said to us that this holiness and being other than is a matter of loving God and loving neighbor. In some sense, It's about being sober-minded, as the Apostle Paul will put it. It's about rightly understanding who we are and who God is and how we ought to live. But the, the thrust of the law, both in Jesus and in Moses, is to demonstrate to us God's character, that our character might be conformed to his character, and that in doing so, we might understand something of what it means that God is holy and that we are holy because he is holy. I hope this helps. Uh, Maybe we'll do a little bit more as we look at the law and we consider specific commands and the way these commands play themselves out. Have a good afternoon, everybody. Until next time.